The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United and we're sat here again ready to dissect another disappointing night for Manchester United, for Eric Ten Hag and for the United players as well. To do that we're joined by Carl Anker and Andy Mitten. Um, I think all three of us would rather be in bed than have this conversation but we're going to have it anyway. It's just approaching 11 o'clock uh, p.m. UK time. We've watched Manchester United Go out of the Carabao Cup. We've heard from Eric Ten Hag after the game. Um, Carl, how bad was that? Oh, it was dreadful. Really, really bad. You consider that's a Newcastle team that had changed eight players, had five fullbacks and no striker, and just waltzed through Manchester United. They were playing Emil Craft at centre back. He hadn't kicked a ball in 14 months. They had seven. Pl- Michael Plant tweeted. Newcastle had seven players in their starting lineup who hadn't started a Premier League game. This is a massively rotated Newcastle team, and they just waltzed through Manchester United. Yeah, it's the first time, Andy, that United have lost consecutive home games by three or more goals since October 1962. There's a lot of stats, none of them are good. Um, that was worse than the Manchester derby, wasn't it? I expected it against City. I thought Manchester United would beat Newcastle. I know that. The team actually did extra training and extra planning uh, for the two games at Old Trafford because they knew that City and Newcastle were both versatile sides. I know that Manchester United knew that Newcastle had made nine changes in the previous round and still done really well against Manchester City. And yet Newcastle, people I spoke to, half wanted the team to go out the competition because... They've got higher targets now, which seemed a little bit bizarre to me because they've not won a trophy since 1969 and 7,000 of them did travel down to, to Old Trafford. But it was absolutely shocking here. It was it was appalling and it was appalling almost from the start. Um, a, a large number of changes, which I expected. Um, almost every player was poor, alarmingly so, right from the start, thinking... Uh, Hannibal's going to get sent off here. Who's having a word with him? And, uh, I can't believe he wasn't taken you know. off. Uh, it's worrying. It's t- it's really worrying where we're at at this point in the season now. So 15 games and eight defeats, and the list of statistics, as you say, are pretty horrendous. And I can't really see it being arrested. Unfortunately, I can't really see any light in this tunnel that Manchester United are in beyond the sort of medium term of, of players coming back. Yeah, even then, um, I mean, if we're starting to get players back, aren't we? We've had players back over the, the course of the last few weeks and it hasn't se- seemed to change much, even tonight. You know, a much-changed lineup. Carl. Didn't seem to change much uh, or anything, indeed. Critch, our friend uh, on The Athletic and on, on the live blog, was sort of saying it. all it did was bring more problems, new problems, in a way. Yeah, you consider how many changes Newcastle made and yet they still played in the way we now know Newcastle to play. Very, very physical. Very, very strong counter-pressing. If you win the ball of Newcastle, they're going to be right after you to try and win that ball back and try and bloody your nose and, and counter-press. And that's how the first goal happens. You know, the ball gets... United win the ball, they play up to Garnaccio. Garnaccio gets bullied off the ball by Livermento and Livermento just goes on a slaloming run 
Darlow's nowhere to be found. Harry Maguire gets pulled out of position by a very simple decoy run by Anthony Gordon and you, you got your goal. If Newcastle can make this many... Okay, before someone yells at me. Yes, Newcastle now have incredibly well-moneyed owners and they have made a number of structures that very, very few clubs, not even in the Premier League, but in the world can do. They didn't even have a centre-back on the pitch. Without a centre-back. And they still have a very recognisable style of play. A more recognisable style of play than Manchester United right now. That should be setting off alarm bells. Yeah, another thing, Andy, as well. No reaction to Sunday. Uh, I I mean, it's almost like page one of uh, the handbook when you lose a, a derby or you lose a game heavily, especially at home. We will bounce back. We'll show a reaction. We'll put it right. All that sort of sentiment. There was none of that, was there? Only from the manager in his programme notes, which everybody picked up on because there wasn't a press conference before the game. And he said the right things. You want to believe it, but you only half believe it because you can see the evidence with, with your own eyes. And it wasn't much change side, but no, almost no reaction and a real disservice to another sellout crowd at, at Old Trafford. The thing that is beginning to grate is that when there is a reaction... It's that sort of petulant, annoying, oh, I'm losing now, let me go get a yellow card. They play in such an immature manner, in a manner that if you were coaching under 15s, you'd be asking these players, no, you cannot You cannot be squabbling with a referee like this. You cannot be getting distracted by these sorts of things. Now is not the time to be distracted. Focus on your job, because if you don't, you're going to lose. And that's that's the annoying thing. They don't. They, they seem frozen by fear, so they don't do the correct things in possession. Then they lose the ball, and they seem so shocked by the fact they lose the ball, they forget their defensive duties. And then when things really start stop going that way, they start picking up silly yellow cards. And it's just... Ugh. Yeah, that's definitely one noise for it. Tanag, after the game, Andy, has, has looked to take responsibility for it. He said several times, I have to take responsibility. He said, I feel sorry for the fans. So we're at that stage now where we're apologising to supporters again, which we've been at with Manchester United in the past, not necessarily under Ten Hag very much. He's talked about sticking together. Um, he's talked to, about doing it as a team, about the setbacks that they've had. And he said, I'm a fighter. How much scrutiny is on his position now, in your opinion? And how much sort of faith, belief do you have that Ten Hag has the tools at his disposal to, to turn this ship around? Because at the moment, it only seems to be going one way for United. They're just words, Ian, and action speaks louder them words and his position is rightly under more scrutiny because as with any football manager in the world if your team are losing all the time you're going to get flack just as you get praise when you're winning matches and we praised him more than anyone last season and I saw him stood on the side and I know other managers will have looked at him there who've been in that position at Manchester United that is a lonely place to be when your team is getting hammered at home once again so part of me is sympathetic to that because I, I still would like him to to succeed at Manchester United I'm as baffled as how it's all unraveling as I was when it unraveled with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer less so with Jose Mourinho because that took a bit longer that took like six months but we're seeing a repeat again same time of year as well. I still don't think there's a big appetite to sack the manager for, for many reasons. One is the ownership because the people on the sports side, their own positions are under scrutiny. So they're the people who've brought in Eric Ten Hag. 
so there will be scrutiny on them as well. I don't think he's just become a bad manager any more than Casemiro's just become a bad player. What's happened then? The mood is low. We talk about about confidence. Do the players still believe in themselves? I, I, I think that they do. But did he believe in the club? Did he understand the club? I'm not sure that they do. I think Manchester United are getting, the players are getting some of the basics wrong in matches. And there's this negative spiral where as soon as Newcastle went ahead tonight, I thought, that's it. That is that is another defeat. And I'd think exactly the same if it happens at Craven Cottage. Do you think they're thinking that as well? Do you think that's what the mood is amongst amongst the players and that that's part of the issue, that belief and confidence is so low that they're finding it difficult to, to even perform at any stage of games, but particularly when they go behind? You can talk about the intangibles like, like confidence, but I also think some of them are, are simply not good enough to play to the level we expect Manchester United players to be at. I just don't think they're technically good enough. And we saw that starkly against Manchester City. We saw it a little bit against Newcastle United's B team. But there are players there on top, top wages. And for some of them, it's not their fault. You know, they might get offered a loan move. They're not going to turn it down. They, they might be trying their best. But Manchester United's squad is not as good as several of the teams above United in the Premier League. So you can put that back onto, onto recruitment. Fans like to say, you know, no heart, no passion. I, I don't like that. And I know that players hate it because you're basically accusing them of being dishonest. And I don't think they are dishonest. This idea of them downing tools. But we have seen repeat behaviour from several players. It keeps happening. And we know what comes next. The manager loses his job. And then someone else comes in and there's a honeymoon period and we think, okay, things are getting back better again. And after one or two or three years, that manager then loses his job again. So a lot of it comes down from the owners, but and the ownership is, is still obviously up in the air. We don't know what's going to happen there. That doesn't help anyone. I know for a fact that the players have got some concerns about that, but you can't blame that on some of these performances that we're seeing. Manchester United have got game plans. As I said, extra training went into these these two matches because they knew that the opponents were were decent opponents. The mood is very low. It just is. And when I saw um, Hannibal get his book in, again, I looked at who are the people around him? Telling him. Where are the lead- yeah. where, where, where are the leaders in this team? Where are the captains? And it's... it's Easy for us to say that. You know, Ole Gunnar told us last month that two players refused to be Manchester United captain. They were offered the captaincy. So how much is the pressure and scrutiny feeding into the, the players? Because I'm told that they do feel it. And I feel conflicted when I get told that because you want to support them because fans are supposed to support, they're supposed to lift. But then it's also a natural reaction to be disappointed when... The team are playing so badly when the season's falling apart at the seams, barely a quarter of the way through. This month could be disastrous. If Manchester United go out of the Champions League, the league the, the league title, I, I didn't expect the, the league to be won this year at all, but I didn't expect the team to be an 8 5 It's been a disastrous season so far. It certainly has. Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, in terms of captains, there's a stat going around that United had more captains tonight than shots on target, or at least people wearing the armband, which sort of sums up 
how poor they were in attack against Newcastle. Um, I sort of bring it back to the question to Andy, really, Carl, if I can. Um, where do you see this going now with Eric Ten Hag? How, how do you see him being able to to sort of ride through the, the, this this period? Because undoubtedly, you know, whether we ask the question on this podcast or not, the question is being asked about his future. Um, I don't think any of us are going to sit here and say that we believe Manchester United should change manager. We don't think that it's at that stage. However, it needs to change. You know, even if he remains as manager, it needs to change no matter what, because this can't continue, clearly. No, and honestly, heart of hearts, I cannot confidently say I see a way for Ten Hag to fix this. You know, if I'm, it's it's very hard to sit here and try and explain something repeatedly that continually defies explanation. It's also quite hard to explain what Ten Hag's doing, where he's he himself is becoming harder and harder to understand what he's trying to say. His, his the quality of his press conferences and his interviews and answers is not what it used to be when he was talking about rules no, right. and discipline. And there are two or three times where I'm, I'm watching these interviews and going, that doesn't make sense. Do, do I need to go? You know, I'm, I've recently had to look at some of his interviews in Dutch and then try and translate them themselves, saying, am I missing something? Because he's not speaking his native language here. That's how bad it's getting in terms of communication. You, know, you think that's because he's become defensive? Because he's getting criticised? Because I agree with you. I think it's an important point. I think the, the Galatasaray press conference, it, it was a shambles. People literally drove there to hear nothing. You might as well have spoke to a tree. There was literally nothing that was said from him or Rafa Varane, who was the player. Mm-hmm. That was no, actually Rafa Varane did say he felt that he could, the team win, the could win the Champions League this year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, 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 you know, the, the Manchester City press conference I watched on Sky didn't make sense. It didn't yeah. make sense. Ten Hag sounded as if he was completely separate from the decisions Ten Hag was making. So that's so it's yeah, it's hard to explain the unexplainable reason things I'm watching Manchester United play. It's hard to confidently say Ten Hag has a plan because every time we ask Ten Hag do you have a plan he talks in these weird circuitous sentences if if I was talking to my friend in the pub or down at the gym and there are United fans saying I don't want to watch this anymore I'd probably say just put on your seatbelt things can get really really bumpy and we'll just try and get through this as best as we can it's hard to do that United though isn't it because of the level of scrutiny on the club and we're contributing to that clearly by sitting here now in our living rooms uh, approaching midnight going over the problems but absolutely but you you can't just ride it out in a way can can you they've sort of tried that this season with grinding out 1-0 wins at Burnley and last minute comebacks against Brentford and everything you know the, the sort of brickmanship of those types of performances and results it's not led anywhere I think what's happened is Ten Hag we can trace it back to to April last April time or, or you can trace it back to indeed the, the League Cup final right so it's been eight months since United played Newcastle in the Carabao Cup and in those eight months United haven't really beaten anyone or put together a really impressive performance against a top side um, since. Now, now again, I'll, I'll mention what I said on the last episode about Tanag saying, I just, you know, there's barely any training time. We just need to use games or exams now. And it feels as if Tanag, che- you know, applied a handbreaking weight. We just got to get through this end of the season. So now you're watching Manchester United. And at a point in time where they should have a better grasp of the tactical 
and I'm talking about above-shoulder nuances of what Ten Hag wants, that has not been taught since maybe since April time. And this is me outside looking in, just looking at this team play. I'm looking at a team that's trying to defend in a man-marking system. That's killing midfield, isn't it? That's killing midfield. And yeah, real that man marking is a very basic form of training a defensive shape. If you are again, if you're in charge, you're under twelves, under this, under whatever, and you go, I haven't got enough time to make it really complicated, we'll just mark man to man. And we'll figure out the rest later on. And it really feels as if since that League Cup final, so many of things Ten Hag went, we'll figure this bit out later on when X player is back fit again, or when X player is bought in the transfer market, or when everyone's had a breather in preseason. And then none of those things happened. There was an injury crisis. The players bought over in the summer window haven't adjusted. Um, the players that did come back from injury didn't come back the same, like Lissandra Martinez. So you're all going now, oh, wait, shouldn't we know better than this? And and it's it's not falling, it's all falling apart. I keep trying to come up with this analogy Forgive me, because I still haven't quite finalised it, it, but it's November. <laughs> Sorry, it's November time. The temperature's getting really, really cold. And when you should have bought yourself a nice winter coat in January, you kept buying polo shirts. And that's what it feels like watching Man United, in that they're just walking around in flip-flops, polos and shorts. I'm like, wait, why didn't you buy a proper winter coat and gloves for this? Does that work? Do you need to work on it a little bit more? But I, I kind of understand what you're, what you're getting at. I think your point on 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 the man marking call is is really interesting because it's quite hard for for fans to understand the fullbacks following into midfield, the centre backs following the men, and crossing over, which was a problem for for the first goal. So I think tactically, he's tried to reset everything as he tried to do too much. I think it's still a major problem for the manager that he's been unable to pick a settled side because of the injuries. I think that would impact against anyone. But there's questions all over the place. I mean, Anano has not had the worst week at all compared to some of the others, but he has had a poor start to his United career. You've got Mason Mount, who Ten Hag pushed for. He couldn't get into his side until tonight. You've got individuals not playing well at all. The biggest names, Marcus Rashford... Bruno Fernandes, Casimiro we've talked about, the Jadon Sancho situation doesn't help. Lack of goals again, another night when there's no more goals. It's Scott McTominay has been playing because it brings a, a goal threat that the others haven't been able to. Poor Rasmus Hoyland. Rafa Varane, one of the best defenders in the world. He's barely playing. He's played like 20% of the minutes so far this season. Ten Hag's comments that he wanted more football at half-time against Brentford. I know they didn't help. They absolutely, the implication of that did not help the dressing room at all. And there's just so many negative ingredients going into this big boiling pot of whatever meal Ten Hag is trying to cook that the team keeps losing matches. And it's got to change because if it doesn't, he will lose his job. I've got zero evidence that this is happening imminently, but if he loses the next 10 matches, and I don't think United will do, you know, managers lose it. It just gets to a position where it becomes completely untenable. I'd much rather the owners lost their jobs than the manager, by the way. But as we know, that doesn't happen. In terms of the way the team's functioning, though, you mentioned about the attack, the lack of goals. I mean, Jadon Sancho's not around the team, but even when he was, 1-11. in 11. Anthony, 1-19. in 19. Garnacho, one in 17. Rashford, one in 16. Martial, one in 14. Hoyland, no goals in domestic football, three in 12 overall. And, and he's, the, he's the great hope for us with a record of three goals in 12 appearances. That's all competitions 
between the start of this season and the end of last season. That speaks to a team not functioning. That's not just about individuals not having form. There's one, two, three, four, that's six different players all suffering with the same type of issue. Yep. It, it's it's symptoms of a much wider disease. I think Andy says he feels there's not much appetite to remove in Ten Hag. If there is, and this feels utterly bizarre to say, if there's anything keeping Ten Hag in a job right now, it's one, I can't, any viable candidate, any available manager right now comes with their own list of pros and cons that I, I think would be hard to, to get United fans to buy into. And two, I think if you, I think you talk to many United fans, you know, the ones that are, you know, quite rightly in their own right. I think you've talked to many United fans, the sort that left when it was 3-0, be it against Newcastle, be it against Man City, and said, what's going on? They'd go, no manager fixes this. It's it's very clear. The problems at Manchester United, the malaise at Manchester United is much, much bigger than one football manager. Yes, one football manager might be able to do a better job than what Eric Ten Hag is currently doing. Um, I'm looking at this and going, Ten Hag's been dealt a very bad hand with the injury crisis, with the takeover stuff, with other things going on at Manchester United. I'm also going, Ten Hag's playing this hand quite badly. And we look at this attack. You've got, you know, Ten Hag said after the victory over Copenhagen that there's loads of injuries in the back line, which means you have to make, you have to try and find a balance in the midfield. And if you're trying to find a balance in the midfield, if your defence is bad, you've got to try and find a balance in midfield. So do you put midfielders on that can help your attackers or do you put midfielders on that can help protect your defence? Uh, and he he hasn't found that balance. I'm not sure that balance exists with the current players Manchester United have. I know we, we joked about in early episodes about how we miss Fred, but you're looking at a team going, Fred would genuinely improve this. So we've got like seven central midfielders, but the one that we sold is the one that we need. Is that what you're saying? Oh, you should, seven central midfielders, but Fred would genuinely offer something that none of them have. Um, oh, you've now, made me chuckle for the first time tonight. Thanks, Carl. I, I try to. <laughs> I try to. That's that's really bad. If, if, Do you actually think Manchester, that? that? That's not you being mischievous? Yeah, right. So United need, they need legs in midfield. They also need someone who can pass from deep. Uh, they also need someone who can uh, make a tackle, win the ball back and not get you booked in the first 25 minutes. But they've got Casimiro, Amrabat, Bruno Fernandes, Mason Mount, Christian Eriksen, Scott McTominay, Hannibal, Kobe Mainu. That's eight. Let me try and break this one. I mean, Kobe Mainu will hopefully, fingers crossed, I'm sorry, Kobe, for doing this. I don't want to put too much pressure on you. But when you get here... Hopefully, I'll stop saying I misread a bit. It's Kobe. It's not Kobe. My mistake. <laughs> it's it. It was explained to me by um, by his dad, who went on that um, mid-season break last year. I said to him, "How do I pronounce um, your son's name?" And he said, um, "Robbie with a K." Oh, there you go. <laughs> which I thought was decent. The fact I even think we misread is an in. Dykeman on the current assortment of the squad and also again raises big question marks over why Eric Ten Hag pushed so hard for Mason Mount yeah that's a baffling one that he pushes so hard for a player and then doesn't play him in his best 11 Casimiro went off at half time uh, again obviously um, and it was an injury uh, says Eric Ten Hag he's ruled him out of the game at Fulham 
on Saturday straight away. He's not sure how severe the problem is. Um, so that explains maybe why he was taken off at half-time again. It was the second time in the last two starts that he'd been taken off at half-time. I mean, one thing about tonight, Andy, we, we said towards the end of the last podcast, we sort of speculated about what the team selection might be. I think we all, the three of us, agreed that we didn't think that there'd be too much of a, a gamble with the team selection. We thought that it would be pretty strong given the circumstance for United. I mean, Marcus Rashford, Rasmus Hoyland, Bruno Fernandes, you know, were all left out of the starting lineup, and in the end, they were brought on when the game was pretty much gone. I mean, we surprised they weren't the choices at half time, along with the the changes that were made. I was from our chat last week, but on Monday, I was led to believe that both teams would be making a significant number of changes and I put that in the athletic article. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying that they both agree with each other and ring each other up. <laughs> All right, Eddie. What it is, you make 7 and I'll make 8, but that that was known that that was going to happen. So well, if United knew that, why didn't they name the strongest lineup then? <laughs> I'm not a professional football manager, but he has always tended to go quite strong. And I'm surprised that he didn't because the League Cup was a major plus for him. It was the highlight of last season. And to retain that, because you're going get, to keep getting home draws, aren't you? <laughs> it could salvage what is turning out to be a pretty awful season. But we had our pants taken down by a Newcastle United side who are, are riding a, a wave of, of optimism. I'm not into their ownership model in the slightest. I'm like Carl there. But they're doing well. They're doing really well and they've got a good fan base and they're going in the opposite direction to Manchester United at the moment. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Right, if we dare, let's look ahead to Fulham, um, 12.30 on Saturday. We've not got long to wait until the uh, next instalment. We talked about you know, the, the likely team for the cup game against Newcastle. What's the team going to look like against Fulham, Carl? I mean, surely now he's had a look tonight at some of the alternatives. He's got to go back to whatever he believes his absolute strongest 11 is at this current moment, doesn't he? What that looks like is the question, maybe. Yep. And we're in that state where we're talking about the strongest eleven. not too long after we mentioned about a player being injured and unavailable. So no Casemiro, which yep. I, I guess we're, we're doing Amrabat and Scott McTominay again. I think Amrabat's been a big disappointment. I don't like to get personal onto players, but I said it on the pod right from the start, having spoke to people who, who knew him far better than I did. Uh, I think that he's not done anything to show that he's... I think he had one good game left back, which is not his position. No, I think that's fair. I also, I think it's very important to say Amrabat is alone and came in to bolster the century midfield off options and, you know, probably got pushed to the front of Parker's Ten Hag knew him. When I did my, you know, shopping for a defensive midfielder list, I put a number of other players in and there were three or four of those players where I went, oh, you're, you're really good at Leverkusen. United can't afford you right now. And you'd have the hope that when Ten Hag or dot, 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 Manchester United manager is looking for a midfield player next summer, another player may jump ahead of the queue for Amrabat. 
Amrat's in a tricky situation and the only way he gets better is just by giving it a bit of graft in midfield. But he's almost got to adapt instantly whilst playing, whilst being relied upon. Um, and some of the some of the issues for him, the dynamism, the pace, um, some of the sharpness being caught on the ball again issue. tonight for, for the third goal. Issue. It's very difficult to adapt yes. to that in this circumstance, isn't it? Yep. And that was pointed out right at the start. International football, where he's excelled, is much... Um, much slower than the Premier League. Oh, it's... Syria, where he's done well, is slower than the Premier League. The only other team who came in for him in August, I was told by decent sources, was Galatasaray. Mm-hmm. So you can see the type of suitors he's getting. This ain't Jude Bellingham anymore. This is Manchester United not shopping at the top people's store anymore because they can't, because of financial fair play, because the budget had been spent. So you end up with a player, you end up with loan players. Mm-hmm. And this, this is this is what is happening. No. And you're not going to get the best players from the best clubs to go on loan. You end up getting the third choice fullback from Tottenham. And I wished them well. And when Regulon came and he did really well in the first half at Bayern Munich, I thought, okay, that could be smart. But the cream rises to the top. Now, again, these are players that, okay, maybe you, you are unlikely to win a Premier League with these players or get to the Champions League semi-finals with these players. But these are players that... You, you should be able to get a decent enough tune to beat a team like Fulham. and Well, to compete with Newcastle's reserve side, yes. which was essentially what United faced. You I know. think what's interesting is I've just watched one, 45, one second half of Aaron Wan-Bissaka come back from injury and gone, you're probably going to... You've already He's pushed... He's starting his, at Fulham. This is it. <laughs> oh, totally. Right? And so, partly because Diogo Delort's been so poor, by the way. That, that first this, half especially, yeah. I remember saying this... Uh, uh, pre-season the game against Lens or Lens sorry my pronunciation of just yeah Dallow was alright but if, if Wan-Bissaka has a decent enough week at training you can probably push ahead of him and that's a really weird situation for Manchester United in that you've got Wan-Bissaka a good player but some with very very obvious weaknesses can push himself ahead of Dallow with just a decent 45 minutes with a decent week at training. Dallo should be streaks ahead of Wan-Bissaka. Carl, isn't this part of the issue though as well? I mean, has Eric Ten Hag spent upwards of 400 million quid? Is it? Is that what the, the tally is now? Something like that? And yet we're still having the same sorts of conversations about the same sorts of issues, aren't we? Yeah. Surely, you know, strip everything back. They spent over 400 million quid on this squad. You know, the, the quote... We, we didn't get it necessarily into the last podcast, I don't think, but the quote about not playing like mm. Ajax, you know, not wanting to play like Ajax was almost the... I don't know exactly what Ten Hag meant when he said it, but it, it rang a lot of alarm bells with Manchester United fans listening to that. He said that in Dutch, and I went off and translated it, and I went off and asked very, very nicely for my missus to double-check, saying, is there more nuance in there? And there was a little bit more than what the aggregators put up. Okay. So Ten Hag's point was we were never going to play one to one exactly like Ajax because we don't necessarily have all the players for it, and because the history of Manchester United, I don't. He said he didn't believe. Well, he more or less said he doesn't believe the history of Manchester United would suit being. He doesn't want to Ajaxify United. Fair enough. I, I kind of agree with that actually. To be honest, yeah. Fair enough. I think Ten Hag's been very mindful of being compared to Louis Van Gaal as a United manager, because Van Gaal came in and said, we've got to do this, this and this and this. And he's very mindful of things well, going bad. Well, his team bad. did win many games or score many goals. So Exactly. And he's, he's sort of, he's accidentally fallen backwards into the Van Gaal situation. 
Now, when Ten Hag says we don't have the sort of players that can play in that Ajax style, that was interesting to me because he Ten Hag made a very good Ajax team that didn't play in the traditional Ajax style. That was the one that got to the Champions League round of 16. It was the one that basically made United and Spurs interview him. So it's not the Frank of the Young team, but the one with Ryan Gravenberg, Edson Alvarez and whatnot. So he can make a team that can play the possession style that Ajax are good at, but also play very direct, lumping loads of crosses to a big man like Sebastian Haller. The fact that he has spent 400 million and gone, nah, I'm not going to try and do that form of an Ajax team is weird. Now, again, subheading, sorry. Um, there's a very, very good question to be asked. Can you build an Ajax-style team when your two best attacking players are Marcus Rashford and Bruno Fernandes? So Fernandes, not someone who really, really cares a lot about retaining possession. He wants to play the ball quickly forwards. And Marcus Rashford, best off running into space. And I think maybe Ten Hag's looked at those two players, looked at Casemiro and gone, there's no point trying to do settled possession. We have to play quick. I think that's a bad formulation. And like you say... That's 400 million and we're still talking about the same problems. I'm going to have to write another article either in January or in next or in the summer going Manchester United need to buy another defensive midfielder. And I've been right I've been talking about that in the pub for 10 years. I've been writing about that f- for the Athletic ever since I came on the United beat. We're going to be we're probably going to have to do another version in the summer of Manchester United need to buy another centre back or Manchester United need to buy another right winger. How many more times do you have to keep buying another player in this position before you realize actually no? Stop spending money willy-nilly on shiny new things and actually on the training ground, coach it. Not hard running, not 13.8 kilometres and talking about passion and desire, but actually player rotations. When he moves here, you've got to move here. Defensive schemes, it's not man-to-man. When this happens, you need to do this. Counter-pressing, you counter-press at these angles and you try and win the ball back. I know... Last season, United were very, very good at winning the ball back under eight seconds. Where's that all gone? They seem to have forgotten that. He sat in the press conference the other day, Andy, and talked about United being leaders in the Premier League for winning the ball back high up the pitch, winning the ball back in midfield as well. Um, you know, He said that United had the ha- highest... This, I, I fact-checked that. The interesting thing there was he can't this, the best in terms of regains, so simply winning it back. Now, as you saw against Newcastle, Okay, they want it back, but then Newcastle just want it back straight off them. What what Ten Hag should be looking at, or what I'm sure Ten Hag is more concerned about, and what the data people at United should be talking to him about is, okay, you win the ball high up the field. How many times is that win or regain leading to a shot on goal? Because the difference there is vast. When Newcastle win the ball in the final third, they have a shot. When United win the ball in the final third... Anthony pauses on it, cuts back inside on his left foot and then punts it long to the far post and now gets ahead on the ball. I don't think it's unfair to critique players like Anthony. The manager's brought him in, cost a huge amount of money, may have stood out in, in Holland, but I was reminded before the Dutch league is so different to the Premier League and Daily Blind said the following to me, Holland is a great league to develop as a player, but it's a small country and the competition outside the top eight is simply not the same as in bigger countries. The Premier League, the biggest in the world, it has everything, pace, strength, tactics, and managers like Guardiola teaching new types of play. So it's a big jump up. We can have as many stats thrown at us as we want. We can see with our own eyes. And the fans can see it. And if you're a Manchester United fan going to Old Trafford and you're walking out of that ground and you've seen your team lose more often than not, 
that is a major, major problem for any Manchester United manager. And I think he knows that, but it's how he changes that. Okay, last topic for tonight. How does this change? It's a very, very difficult question to answer, and I get that completely. And throwing it in at the end of a podcast probably doesn't help anyone. But there has to be some element of us looking forward to try and seeing a way through this for people who've endured nearly 40 minutes of us um, wading through the quagmire. How does this change, Andy, starting at Fulham at 12.30 on Saturday? I asked the question the other day, how does this change? And regroup, resolve, somehow from somewhere, the leaders have got to come to the fore and have got to find the groove. They don't look like they're enjoying the football in the slightest. No, I've I've thought that for several weeks. Now that can change in 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 an instant, Ian. You go a goal. You win, you score, you know. A goal at Fulham away, you got a full away end singing because the fans want exactly the same as the players. And if you can start to ride that small wave and turn it into something positive. But Manchester United are going to places where the team are expected to win. And even if they do win, are playing absolutely terribly and nicking a single goal lead. From the 15 games now, we've seen one good performance. One out of 15. Yeah. So it's not just points, goals, it's performances, what you can see with your own eyes. And at what point does that become a major problem? Well, it is now. Something's got to change, and it's got to change pretty soon. And that was the the basis of my article in The Athletic, that November six games, well, we've got five now. It's a really, really important month. November has been such an important month in the history of Man United. It was the month that Cantona came because... The team were not playing well. It was probably Fergie's toughest month, November 2005, after a defeat against, I'm going to like this one, Lons, Lille, Lons. <laughs> Lons. Lens, yeah. Lens, Lens, in Lens. Paris. Don't ask Carl. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that, 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 that saw a, a mutinous away end for Ferguson time. It really did. I remember being in Paris and... That was probably the lowest point of Ferguson's stock in the 20th century. And there's been other times, you know, Ollie lost his job. 21st century even, mate. That's all right, it's getting late. And <laughs> November was the last time that Manchester United won an away game in London. Last yeah, year. last November. Against Fulham a away. team Blimey. called Fulham. Got to go there now. Marco Silva's a decent coach. He's going to make it difficult. And... I'm sounding hesitant because I haven't got a clue what to expect, but I'm going. You going, Carl? Yeah, I'll be there. Will it help that the next couple of games are away from home? I mean, seven of seven of the last eight matches have been at Old Trafford, incredibly. And you know, we're talking about scrutiny and focus and all those sort of things. Maybe it will help bring a little bit of freedom to play away from home. I'm sort of. Searching and scratching around a little bit. What was Ten Hag's record away from home last season? Exactly. Yeah. I don't. I don't yeah. think the tension at Old Trafford is is debilitating. I think the whole mood is low, but I don't think at Old Trafford it's it's a massive problem. And as you say, the, the away form has been really, really poor. Just needs a, you know, a couple of two goals in quick succession. A great goal. I think the only thing we know about Fulham on Saturday is that stand still won't be finished. <laughs> There's a competition with Liverpool for that now, isn't there? Because they're, uh, they're struggling to get theirs finished as well. Right, but I think we should finish. Um, 
thank you for listening. Andy and Carl, thank you for, for being with us as always. Thank you for your honesty as well. It's not easy recording these podcasts again at the moment, unfortunately, but we will continue to do it, of course. We'll try to bring you as much insight with as much level-headed analysis as we can um, and whatever, we'll get through it together, won't we? Right, Andy, thank you very much. Carl, thank you very much. Enjoy your trip down to Fulham. You'll have to sort him out some scran while you're down there, Carl. <laughs> Andy's only happy when he's got a full stomach, we know that. I'll get him some chill off, don't worry. Yeah, I'm into that, mate. I need something to look forward to. <laughs> Carl's going to sort you out. In the meantime, thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you after Fulham. Take care, bye-bye. The Athletic.